We're glad you're joining us here at Common Thread Online. This is a recording of our community gathering as we do each week to think together about the spiritual journey. At the end of the lesson, we open the floor for discussion, but we'd love to hear what you're thinking as well. On our website are directions to download our app. Once you have it, join the group. What are you thinking? We'd love to connect with you there. Uh, rehabilitating our religion. We had some problem with the live stream. We had some problem with making a video. So if you missed, you can listen to the introduction. We did get the audio recording. Uh, it's on our website. If you go to the resources tab, then you go down to audio. You will see it right there last week. In the lesson, I introduced, explained the Japanese art of kintsugi, the practice of repairing broken pottery as an apt metaphor for repairing our broken religion. It is the art of gathering together pieces of pottery that have broken, piecing them back together with lacquer and gold to create a new form of beauty, to create a new form of strength. So it's a good metaphor. It's a good metaphor for rehabilitating, repairing our own lives and also our religion. <clears throat> by acknowledging our flaws, by acknowledging our religion's flaws, by embracing them, we can create a new thing, a new strength, a new beauty. We were born into a time in which we are living through a new reformation. That's our time on the earth. We are rebuilding our society right now. And it's a very uncomfortable process because part of rebuilding is the stripping down that goes with. We are doing the same for our religion. We're doing it in a very similar way to the way we did it 500 years ago when a new worldview emerged then. That makes the time that we get on this earth a time for kintsugi, a time of repairing, a time for creating new beauty out of what is broken. Well, today I'd like to talk a little bit about what that's going to look like in practical terms. Putting together the shards and fragments of religion. How do we create a new beauty? And I want to start with something you hear me say all the time. You've probably heard me say this at least ten times. Oneness is a better description of reality than two-ness. Or you might also hear me say, we are more one than we are two. Or you might hear me say, uh, two-ness is an illusion, albeit a persistent one. Well, what I'd like to do today is explore how that notion bears upon this reformation, this rehabilitating moment. The first time I got a glimpse of this oneness concept, it was in my mid-twenties. <clears throat> it's an experience I've talked about before, but today I found a picture. <laughs> so this was kind of a direct encounter spirituality kind of experience. It was during graduate school. Uh, I used to work in uh, Colorado during that time as a mountain and as a whitewater uh, guide. This was on the Arkansas River uh, in the Collegiate Peaks region of the Rockies. Um, and I was there because, what an adventure, I was young. But I was also there because I needed to pay for tuition. <laughs> so in order to make my tuition, I worked as many trips as I could get. So one trip, one group would leave just as another was arriving. And 97% uh, of my time, I was either on the trail or on the river. 
So that makes this day stand out because it was some time off. One group had left and the new group was delayed. So I grabbed a kayak and I grabbed a friend and I went about an hour uh, up stream and to a very tricky section of really big water and this is the picture I found. <laughs> the internet is just a wonderful thing. You just put that in and somebody showed me that picture and that just brought back all kinds of memories. That's a very calm section of the Pine Creek slash numbers section of the Arkansas River. Uh, very near to where I had this experience. So for several hours I alternated between high adrenaline big water and peaceful floating in between the rapids. <clears throat> and at the very beginning of one of the adrenaline sections, I pivoted my boat onto a big rock right in the middle of the river and I perched there. So all the water was rushing around me, but I was still on this rock right in the middle of the fray. So for several seconds, I just took in the boat, the water, the bank, the land, and then those 14,000 foot peaks about a mile away. The moment lasted for maybe, I'm guessing, 40 seconds, probably less. But I had this experience of, for just a moment, a different kind of seeing. I could see that thing I say all the time. I could see in those moments that everything is connected, that everything is one. Whatever me is, it is deeply connected to boat and water and bank and land and mountain, connected to everything. A few seconds and then it was over. But still, 40 years later, I can remember those seconds with crystal clarity, more one than two. Well, that happened. And I was young. Consequently, it happened before I understood that everything just is connected. In fact, when it happened, I thought that I had hit upon a new thing. <laughs> really what I thought was that I am special. <laughs> That's what I really thought. I was devout. I did the spiritual practice, so I assumed that God on high had visited this experience upon me because, you know, probably like Moses, you know, burning bush. That's what I thought. <laughs> Look at me, spiritual master at such a young age. Look at me, rarefied insights reserved for the special. I guess that's me now. <laughs> Now there is a word uh, in the original biblical language for that kind of thinking. I've told you the word before. The words are horseshit. <laughs> That's what that is. <laughs> it was not a special experience. I mentioned on Easter after that, a few years later, still in my 20s, uh, I had that experience, but now I am reading our tradition's mystics. And oh, that's a little embarrassing because, oh, I guess not special. I guess actually pretty ordinary. Actually, maybe a little bit arrogant. <laughs> well, on Easter, I mentioned Teresa of Avila, and I said, who said to me, come on, kid, oneness, it's just a thing. And Meister Eckhart, who said, it's a thing, kid, it's not your thing, it is a thing. Not special, not even woo-woo, it just is. Now, to be fair, I felt special because nobody had ever told me. Nobody ever told me that this oneness thing is actually a thing. 
My tradition had actually kept me ignorant of this core foundation of our spiritual tradition. I didn't know that everything connected is bedrock for us. I didn't know that people knew about this stuff. I didn't know that people talked about this stuff. I'd read the Bible several times at that point. I didn't know that the concept is there if you're looking. I just wasn't looking because nobody had ever told me to look. I didn't know to look. I put some references on a post in the uh, app. It's in the group uh, uh, community board, community bulletin board. So if you want to check out those texts, they're there. Now, what I did know <coughs> was that uh, everything is connected, showed up in nature. I just didn't make the connection that I needed to make. Everything connected is shot through the natural world. Trees provide habitat for birds that carry seeds for trees. Food chains are inextricably linked, predator and prey. They are mutually interdependent. Break one out of the system, you damage the whole system. I knew that ocean currents connect continental weather, and from the runoff of that weather, that impacts the ocean currents. I knew that pollinators enable reproduction by eating nectar, and that by re fostering reproduction, they create more flowers, which creates more nectar. I knew about the water cycle. I knew about evaporation and precipitation and water for life, and then do the whole thing all over again. I knew about relativity. I knew about mass and energy, space and time being inextricably connected one to another, more one than they are two. I knew about particle entanglement. Spin an electron over here and way over there, light years away, it spins in uh, response. I knew about chaos theory. Butterfly flaps a wing over here, hurricane over there. I knew about thermodynamics, energy never gone, just changes form. I knew all this stuff. I knew that our universe is more united and whole than it is discrete packages of separateness. But I thought that was for science class. I didn't think that was for religion. Everything connected is a bigger thing than I knew. Much bigger thing than I knew. So today I want to talk about that big thing, and I want to talk about a big implication of that big thing for what it means to be about, born into a generation that's rehabilitating religion. This is a big implication. When my uh, kids were young, they swam competitively, and every year the coach and the, uh, the staff would gather them together, and they would set what they called their BHAGs, big, hairy-ass goals. <laughs> That's what they would set. Well, today we're going to talk about a high, a uh, big, hairy-ass implication. This is the profound implication for this moment in history of everything connected being part of the fabric we live in. Here's the implication. If everything is connected, then everything belongs. If everything is connected, then everything belongs. This is a good book, by the way, Richard Rohr. I read it a long time ago. I remember it being very helpful when I read it. I think I remember what it says, and I think I'm going to say what it says, but I might be uh, saying out loud thoughts that I've thought since I read that, but I might be not. Here's what everything connected means to me. We get very comfortable. You heard Heather talk about this just a moment ago. We get very comfortable in our thinking categories. We think this 
is that. And we think that is this. All very settled, all very same. That way, we don't have to wake up every morning and expend a tremendous amount of energy processing a bunch of new this or new that. So thank you, brains. A very helpful, energy-saving feature. <clears throat> but as we've also seen many times, helpful feature in one context actually becomes very unhelpful in another. We work the circle, we do the practices, and in particular, we do the meditation practice that Heather was talking about just a moment ago in order to transcend this very brain feature. Categories in reality are much more fluid than categories that we create and construct in our heads. Categories in reality much more fluid than the categories we construct in our heads. But when we do get them constructed in our heads, we latch on to them and we hold on tight. Here's a very common example. It came up in What Are You Thinking uh, a few weeks ago. The categories that get stuck in our head between what is good and what is bad. So, win the lottery. Good. Financial mismanagement, strained relationships, loss of purpose and meaning, bad. Instant success, good. Ah, not working for success, not growing, becoming complacent, bad. Failure, ah, bad. Learning from failure, developing resilience and determination, good. A painful breakup, bad. Self-reflection, personal growth, healthier mind, good. Rejected by a job, bad. Exploring more deeply our passions and our strengths, good. Get sick, have health troubles, bad. Develop empathy, savor life, good. Social injustice, bad. A community gathering to expand justice for all, good. Once the concept that everything belongs gets into our heads, once it becomes our starting place, we begin to question our knee-jerk, fixed category thoughts, like, is this good or is this bad? We begin to question the stories that we lock ourselves into and begin to look for other ways, other perspective, other vantage points. If good and bad are more fluid than our heads would dictate, if good and bad as categories arise more from our conditioning than from reality, we would do well to rise above our conditioning, to gain an expanded perspective. Start with the premise that everything belongs and when painful things arise, maybe less emotional eating in reaction, maybe less medicating with substances in reaction, maybe less compulsive buying, maybe less isolating or withdrawing or Netflix binging or procrastinating or oversleeping, maybe more practices that will clear our minds because if we start assuming that there is something here to learn, maybe more clearing our minds in order to learn it. 
looking for possibilities in exercise or meditation or the body scan or breath watching or journaling or friend chatting. Because if everything belongs, well then maybe even this painful thing belongs. So what can I learn here? What fixed categories in my head could be adjusted here? What is the opportunity of this moment? If everything belongs, it challenges fixed thought patterns. It invites broader exploration of possibility, broader exploration of potential. When we have those experiences, we tend to label them good because they align with our desires or they align with our expectations. We tend to label them bad because they do not. What doesn't tend to happen is that we question the desires themselves. What doesn't tend to happen is that we question the expectations themselves. We start with that as an unshakable given. And we say these expectations, these desires are immovable. Everything belongs is an invitation to explore the limitations of those very desires and expectations. The acknowledgement of how transient our thought categories are, like the example we just gave of good and bad. If we embrace everything belongs, we become more curious about the bigger picture more suspicious of the what my brain does to me limited picture. Also, everything belongs is an invitation to let go, as we saw in the last lesson. If we practice not getting attached to impermanent desires as though they are permanent features, we realize that many times the setbacks, I put those word, that word in quotes, the setbacks in our lives are really only setbacks because they don't match our interior narrative. And often what needs to happen is not grinding away in order to make circumstances match the inner narrative. What needs to happen is we need to let go of the narrative itself. And that makes everything belongs an invitation to well-being, an invitation to unattached to specific outcomes well-being, an invitation to less compulsed to judge the circumstances well-being. Now here's a quick caveat. We say every time we bring up something like this, everything belongs is not an invitation to indifference. We are not indifferent to suffering. We are not indifferent to injustice. We are not indifferent to pain. In fact, this works just the opposite. Everything belongs shapes us. That way the us that shows up to our given role as repairers of the world, the us that shows up, the me that shows up, the self that shows up becomes a better self a less hijacked by fixed thinking self, a inherent worth of all things version of self, a more accepting, less harshly judging version of self, and open to broader possibilities version of self. We can show up to 
our roles making the world a better place, better equipped, more capable of creative solutions, less driven, more peaceful, which is all very helpful background. Thank you very much for all your studious work, Doug. But how does that shape how we rehabilitate our religion? Well, like this. Here's how everything belongs helps us gather together the broken pieces, stitch them together with lacquer and gold, and make something beautiful, make something stronger. I met with our planning team this week, working together to make our community healthier. And we started, as we often do, with 10 minutes uh, checking in. Uh, some question that evokes, how is your interior world, how is your life going? This time, two questions. Something you're grateful for in the last 72 hours, something you wish was different about the last 72 hours. Well, I love this community. You might have picked that up by now. <laughs> this was just a normal Friday. <clears throat> this is a very small example. This is so mundane. This is so ordinary. But this is what rehabilitated religion looks like. This is Julie. If you haven't met her, uh, she's in the directory. That's her picture. Uh, I asked her if I could tell her story uh, from Friday. She agreed. She's in the mountains today at a great big family celebration. And because of the celebration, she had a stressful week. A million details kind of stressful week. A million pressing things kind of stressful week. It's a special day for her 90-year-old grandma. Uh, important to get all the details right. And that meant a new dress because a new dress is kind of a grandma-pleasing kind of thing. But buying a new dress, turns out that's stressful. <laughs> Lots of food to prepare, lots of food to transport, lots of details to go into that, lots of people, that's stress. It was thousand detail kind of stress. So what would you have liked to be different about your last 72 hours? Well, I would have liked more everything belongs in my life. Now, she did not say that. I was preparing this lesson, but that's what I heard. Here's what she actually said. Here's what I would have liked. Uh, given this thousand detail stressful week, I would have liked in the midst of the stress to be more gracious toward myself. Given my personality, I know plan making and plan executing and detail managing, I know that stuff just does stress me. What I didn't do was give myself permission to be my not-yet-perfected personality self. I didn't, okay, self, you're stressed. I didn't, okay, self, feel the feelings. I didn't, okay, self, you're going to survive. I didn't acknowledge that the gift part of my personality, the ability to make those plans, to see those details, comes with a curse part, and that is to be weighed down by the plans and by the details. I did not acknowledge to myself it's a package deal. I ever never had the option to not have this temptation. What I didn't do 
was encourage myself to feel those feelings and to acknowledge that those feelings also belong because everything belongs. Instead, what I did was castigate myself all week long. Come on, cut that out. How long have I been on this journey? How long have I practiced self-awareness? How long have I worked with the Enneagram? How much false self, how much shadow side work, how much have I done? I should be better by now. And look at so-and-so with that personality and look how seamlessly they are able to handle this kind of thing. I should be able to handle this like that. So you know what I wish was different about the last 72 hours? I wish I could have been more accepting. I wish I could have been more patient. What I did instead did not help. (laughs) What I did instead was just add to an already demanding week extra angst and extra inner criticism. Do better, be better, stop that. What I did was mindlessly chase whatever problem was right there in front of me without a lot of reflection or thought in the vain belief, I'll just get this one solved and then my stress will go away. Then these bad feelings will go away. And that did not work. What I wish for the last 72 hours was more everything belongs. Now, she added, let me go back to the grateful for question. I am grateful that I have spiritual friends. One of those with a very decisive personality went dress shopping for with me and found a dress that worked. <laughs> One of them, also decisive, helped me plan and execute the menu, the food, the things that I needed to do. In my amped up state, I cannot overstate how meaningful those friendships were to my week. No one ever said to me, Simmer down, sister. (laughs) But their presence reminded me, simmer down is actually an option. I actually could choose to simmer down. Now, I know I do have people around me. And I know that we are working on this journey together. And I know that I can draw from them. And because of those people, I want you to understand it's only Friday today. And now when this 72 hours question is asked, and it's only Friday, Julie is able to say, I wish my last 72 hours had had more, everything belongs. I wish I had been able to be more accepting of my shadow side, more gracious and more present and more patient with where I am right now. I would like more, everything belongs. But here's the thing I heard. It's only Friday, sister. And look how far Julie went by Friday. People on the journey do that for us. When our starting assumption is everything is connected, so everything belongs. A million small, mundane, ordinary Friday things like that become how we rehabilitate our religion it becomes how we notice it becomes how we see here's what i hope you hear in that story how not special friday was how not exclusive club of spiritual overachievers 
Friday was. How not woo-woo Friday was. It was direct encounter spirituality. It was interior light uh, mediated through friendships and community spirituality. But it was not shrouded in mystery guru on a mountain spirituality. It was rehabilitated religion for everybody. Once we normalize that everything belongs, once we normalize seeing when we fail to see that everything belongs, then with one another we go dress shopping or do food planning. We start helping one another see when we don't see that everything belongs. And because we do that by Friday, we realize what we might have gone the whole time never seeing. Everything belongs. By Friday, we're already planning how we can see better tomorrow, how we can do better tomorrow. That's a glimpse of a rehabilitated religion for everyone built on the foundation that everything belongs. Everyone belongs. Everything is connected. So in Dwelling Divine, may we be participates, participants in as we live through this time in history where our religion is being rehabilitated, may we be participants, contributors to the process. Amen. Well, if you would, please prepare your offerings. Um, again, I want to thank you, the community, for generously donating and supporting our community. Um, <coughs> I very much appreciate that you do keep in mind what we say every week. There's good return when we invest in community. You hear me say every week, uh, we give our time and our energy and our love and we give our dollars. The community takes those things, amplifies and gives them back to us. And we get to see that lived out in our day-to-day -day lives. We get to see that when we actually have dollars to rent a bobcat in order to make a space for our kids to run on the playground. So thank you for being contributors to our community. We all donate online now. You just go to our website. At the very top of the page, there's a button. So online, folks, we're going to dismiss you now before we kind of open the floor and have a discussion. Uh, but we would like to invite you to come and participate in that as well. We do it on Zoom. For those of you online, uh, you can go to the front page of our website or there in the notes in the uh, YouTube uh, post right there. You can find the link. And when you get there, it might ask you for a password. And if it does, that password is 1417. It is 1417. I'm going to change our, I'm going to change one of those things. We should make it 2011 now because that's, that was originally the address of the old church. We're, we're going to change that. But it is 1417. So if you put in 1417, you will get into the Zoom. All right, let's dismiss the folks online uh, as we do by putting our, our hands on our hearts. And let's remember as they go that we are, every one of us, carriers of the indwelling divine. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, the fruit of the indwelling spirit. They are in us, even if you don't feel it. It's in there. So let's look for opportunities this week to draw from what is in us. Now, if you would extend your other hand to our city and share it with the people that we live and work and go to school with 
looking for opportunities to repair and heal our worlds. Amen. God bless you all. You are dismissed. If these recordings help you move forward on your spiritual journey, we hope you'll take an ownership stake in the community and support the health and well-being of the community. Go to our website, commonthreadchurch.org. The donate button is right there on the top. Thank you.